0: Play it again, Sam Nolan. There should be a Sam Nolan. In honor of the Interstellar Infinite ticket, what movie would you see over and over again in theaters?
1: I'm Katie Rich, and I'm going with literally none of them because I spend most of the time apologizing for the movies I haven't seen yet.
0: That is a cop out, says me, Dave with the seven, who I otherwise <laughs> answers Jurassic Park. It would have been my answer even if we are on the eve of the Jurassic World trailer. <laughs>
2: Wow. Uh, I am Matt Patches. I'm going to go with South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut, because I can already listen to the album over and over again, and now I want the fart jokes that aren't part of songs more in my life.
3: I'm David Ehrlich. I stand behind Katie's answer, but uh, I guess if I have to pick something besides Lost in Translation, I'll go with Jules and Jim. I feel like I can watch that movie forever and always see new things. Like a fly on the screen, like an anomaly.
2: Oh, maybe I should have gone with airplane. That's too late. To see jokes and I. Ah! <laughs> Gentlemen, you can't fight in
0: here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain, and
3: coming through
1: fine.
0: I'm coming through fine too, eh?
3: Good then. Well then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine, and and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's awesome.
1: a podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode forty-nine for Tuesday, November twenty-fifth, two thousand and fourteen. Happy Thanksgiving week, all of our American listeners. Uh, we don't have any new iTunes reviews to share with you. So this weekend, if you are celebrating the holiday with your family and you are so sick of them that you have to put in your earbuds and you listen to us, consider leaving us a review. We have saved you from your terrible relatives, and for that, you should be thankful. And then leave us a review. I have about a it.
0: non-American. I have a non American listener review request. Oh yeah, that too. We, we have a lot of listeners we have a, non, a lot of listeners in uh, the thought bubble from Sweden apparently. So if you've happened on this podcast from Sweden, leave us a review. I'm very
2: curious. Me too. How do you say review in Swedish?
1: How do you say thought bubble in Swedish? Have... <laughs>
2: Good question
1: we need to learn these things
3: the last fighting in the war room episode that we record before the world is changed forever (laughs) by the trailer the teaser trailer for star wars episode seven don't wake up the force before it's had its coffee am i right oh man we'll talk to it i guess it has to be awake uh whatever anyway this friday it was announced earlier today jj abrams and co are going to be dropping the Teaser trailer for Star Wars, uh, and what's interesting about it is that it's going to be exclusively premiering in theaters before a movie, as ta- trailers traditionally do or did. Um And what I find interesting about it is that uh, while everything, more or less, about filmmaking, or at least the distribution of films has changed since... Uh, 1999 when or in the Phantom Menace 1998 trailer, or 1998 when the trailer when the, fan, the trailer first came out, the, the first teaser trailer. Uh, audiences are going to be experiencing the trailer for the new Star Wars in exactly the same way by paying for a movie they have no intention of seeing and sticking around for this trailer and leaving.
1: In this case, um, being Big Hero Six, I think is going to be the main. Well, this I think year. it's going to
3: be playing uh, if I if i read uh twitter read random tweets correctly i think it's actually at certain theaters going to be playing before every screening of every movie um but i could be mistaken i don't really care I,
0: the reality of the situation is it will be playing in front of every movie at those theaters that were listed and because those mo- those theaters have screenings of big hero 6 Oh, I see. So that was the minimum bar. You had to have a 3D screening of Big Hero 6 in order to qualify to be one of the theaters that would get the
3: trailer. I just wish Still Alice were out so they could put it before that. That would be fun. That would be Um, very appropriate. Anyway, um, the the biggest difference between now and 1999 is that everybody uh, can rush on Twitter and give you shot-by-shot breakdowns and pirate the fuck out of the trailer by noon or Um. Really. Uh. (laughs) Just. Just use it as chum and uh, do that that rather than thinking about any other movie or watching one or really just the opposite of what Katie was advocating in her tidbit (laughs) or lightning round.
2: Yeah, that probably did happen in 1998 though. They oh they went to the cool message
1: boards or oh you mean to pirate it?
2: Yes.
1: (laughs) Oh, I'm sure. I don't know if
2: you were pirating it. I think there it actually came. It was online. You could download like a QuickTime file and it took you like like a day.
3: Yeah. <laughs> and boy was it worth it. Anyway, um I think, you know, obviously this is sort of a, a stretch as far as analogies are concerned, but you know, not every movie could could take this tactic. Certainly, it's sort of like uh well, people are grousing about Radiohead releasing In Rainbows as a, uh, you know, for a pay what you want scheme online and saying, well, not every band has the has the ability to do this, has the, the resources and fan base required to pull this off. Um, that's true. I wouldn't ask other movies to do this. I think, I think as someone who uh, obviously, as anyone who's listened to the show before, knows could not be bothered, especially on the Friday that we have off to go to a movie theater and uh, just to see the teaser trailer for a Star Wars movie, I still think that this is pretty cool. Yeah, is it think? a
2: valid cultural event? That's what I'd be curious to hear from everybody about because it seems... I I mean, not every trailer, as you mentioned, deserves this kind of triumphant fanfare. Uh, it's not that big a deal. There's something about Star Wars maybe that, that seems more culturally potent or, or it seems like a bigger deal, especially because I assume, and I don't know that much about Star Wars because I'm really trying to avoid it, um, that characters we saw 30 years ago, not since before the prequel trilogy, will appear in this trailer. It's kind of resurfacing an older nostalgia that we have i don't know is is this a bigger deal than i i was stirred by the phantom menace trailer back in 1998 my my elementary no middle school took a trip to october sky we saw that movie on a field trip and they played the phantom menace trailer
3: beforehand and i lost my shit wait (laughs) so help me help me help me catch up on star wars news here is john williams doing the score for these movies because so the the only thing that made the phantom menace i mean really the, the thing that galvanized the phantom menace trailer um and i think really made it memorable was the Song that like dun, 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 oh I know, would disagree they play I think there's, well, a real, wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. there's a real build that's, to it
2: that's it's, that, that, it's the gungans I, coming out of the mist that's that, what it's all about yeah whatever the cor- imagery cor- has correct? been
3: watered down beyond all belief by the movie itself where that song uh the song like, is the, still the, great. The, the, yeah the song is still great um I am very skeptical and obviously a bit clueless as to who's doing the music but uh I'm skeptical that that it was gonna have this sort of binding agent. Dave, you were
0: about to, to try and give actual information. Yes, lots of actual hey. information. So we're getting a There's teaser no instead of a trailer. There's no such thing actual
3: information before David, you shut the up. Movie.
1: Let the man speak.
0: Okay, yeah, I guess the truth is a friend <laughs> to everybody then. So they were getting a teaser, not a trailer. So they're different from what Patches and David are describing. The, I believe, teaser for The Phantom Menace was just audio, and it was famously ripped off by the teaser to... Austin Powers, I believe, gold member that came out like a few weeks later that sort of ripped off the Darth Vader breathing and the old clips of talking about Anakin Skywalker. This one, however, David will be happy to hear, they brought in John Williams specifically to record uh, newly scored music for the trailer. Um, Just for the trailer? I did not know that. Just just for the trailer, yeah. I hear it's like a woodwind interpretation of the theme (laughs) that sort of swells. Uh, but whatever it is, it's 88 seconds can long.
2: I-, I just need to debunk you for a second and prove oh, that shit. I know more about Star Wars here. I think. I think. Someone can prove us all right after the fact but what you're describing with the Darth Vader breathing is actually the teaser trailer to episode 2 not the teaser trailer to episode 1 which does begin with the music and the gungans coming out of the mist you oh, cool guys back at the day I'm are sorry. you
0: thinking about the oh, okay
2: you know what i think episode 2 tra- or episode 3 trailer teaser maybe has the darth vader breathing not the episode 1 breathing <laughs> no. I, I, I think they <laughs> i think watch would, know, the darth vader, vader, vader breathing trailer <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was the star wars porn parody episode <laughs> 1 <laughs> yeah,
0: i think they I think They have both. They really leaned heavily on Darth Vader and the Phantom Menace marketing until they had that trailer put together. In which case, we got heavy leaning on Darth Maul marketing, which we might see a resurgence of if they really do unveil the new villain in this trailer, like supposedly they will.
1: Wow. Ha! how much of this are you allowed to know, given your Star Wars uh, embargo? Well,
2: uh, see, that's why I'm thankful it's playing in theaters, because I'm on a quest to avoid Star Wars, and at least for a little while, I'll be able to do such a thing. Because if it came online randomly, it would be all over Twitter, and I'm trying to avoid it. I've actually downloaded TweetBot just to mute the phrase Star Wars. You learned what the title is, right?
3: Is your Twitter Twitter just a, like, tumbleweeds right now? (laughs) Well, Well, the problem is is...
2: People should be including the phrase to help people like me, but people will just post screenshots and that someone posted the logo for the movie. I I actually avoided the title for about four hours after it was announced. I was really proud of myself. Katie knows because I'm G-chatting her all day trying to get updates and making sure that I don't encounter star wars news but then someone posted an image no star wars in the text so it couldn't be filtered out and i i lost but now at least i know the trailer is coming this is why the announcements are great we think they're bad for movies no they're perfect because now i can avoid everything on friday i'm offline
1: i don't think trailer and i don't i won't. i wouldn't call trailer announcements bad for movies under any circumstances i think the trailers for trailers is where you start getting dicey and that's what we got for jurassic world which is interesting because that trailer is debuting on Thanksgiving Day, in, you know, which, fuck you guys, have no sympathy for bloggers at all. Someone has to get that thing on the internet.
3: Ha, um, I don't think uh, – <laughs> yeah, I think we can all be okay without having sympathy for bloggers necessarily. Well, but I, think I have, that, to, I, I, I have I,
1: to make somebody figure out how to get this on the internet. And I'm just I couldn't agree with it. you
3: more though as far as how bungled that whole thing is. I mean who – what goodwill is or what hype – just why not just put a still image – uh, you don't even have to make as much of a production as, yeah. as Star Wars did. Just uh, just throw a, a slash film will still make a post if you just put a still image that says <laughs> the Jurassic World trailer will come out on Thursday. Well, that's, uh, there's a lot of like, snobby
2: to. snobby types who will come after people for getting excited for, you know, David going after Dave, basically, on this podcast. <laughs> um, but <laughs> people can be excited for Star Wars. I think it's totally fair and, and totally respectable, and a, a well-cut trailer is, is art in its own right. Yeah. It's, it takes a lot of skill to make something as as magnificent as that first phantom menace teaser which dave i promise you i'm I'm right in this one but um what doesn't help what undercuts it what makes it crass commercialism is these teasers of teasers that really dilutes everything it takes away of the value of of something fun like a really well-cut trailer
1: I'm going to be preventing myself against getting burned the way I did by the Super 8 trailer, which I thought was so amazing and then completely broke my heart when the movie was Yeah, lame. that James <laughs>
2: Horner cocoon music was I know, love really that James up. Horner. Mm. Um,
1: and I actually, I mean, I would expect that J.J. Abrams would pull together a pretty amazing trailer for Star Wars. I think that's a really interesting, like, like you were saying, it's old school and nostalgic in a way that most movies couldn't. And I worry a little bit that a new Star Wars will re- rely on nostalgia to a point that it cripples itself, because I think that's a huge danger with a property this big, but for something like the way that you release a trailer, and for like maintaining that bit of mystery for however long you can go without finding a pirated version online, um, I, I like it. It's something different, at least.
3: Although, uh, uh, to play devil's advocate, is there, or or to also express part of my real feelings, at least, is is anything that puts the emphasis on not a film on on marketing, um, on stirring hype. And, uh, I know it, it, it does drive people to a movie theater, ostensibly to see a movie, but I think 1998, uh, was pretty good precedent that it's not necessarily what's going to happen. Um, does this actually help or does it actually just call more attention to, uh, the whipping up the frenzy of, I mean, it's fandom? Star
1: Wars. It invented this frenzy. There's no, it, it's, it's going to have it no matter what.
3: That's that's probably very very defeated attitude, but I mean it
1: it is going to happen no matter what, and like, why not get that little bit of it that makes it feel like what your dad did when he lined up to see whatever was the trailer for Empire Strikes Back was playing in front of?
3: Yeah, I think that's probably I think that's probably right. I think that um, this is a. It, 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 it does point to a sickness in our culture, but I think that this is one of the, the most pleasant symptoms. Yeah. Um, That's a, that's like
1: the biggest compliment I think you've ever given to a trailer or a marketing stunt. (laughs) That's
3: true. I, I, I'm excited to see this trailer just to, to see, as Patch is saying, if it holds up to, um, you know, I will, in, by no stretch of the imagination, even if it's the greatest trailer ever, ever cut, will I think that it is any any indication as to the quality of the actual movie no. but i do think that trailers uh can be pieces of filmmaking in themselves and uh i have much fonder memories of that that 2 minute distillation of the Phantom Menace than i do of the, the feature film and uh i would be excited just on its own terms to see a trailer like this i would be excited because
2: christian Marclay cut the
3: uh oh yeah wow there. no that's uh
2: <laughs> that's what a, what a <laughs> they development
3: went, they went all out it's 24 um, hours I, time. I missed the Ain't a Cool News post with 12 exclamation points that <laughs> Christian Markley has signed on to, uh, cut. cut, the, trailer. cut the trailer. for Star Wars. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, so I think this is cool. I, I will see it online. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, that'll be fine by me.
1: I do have to decide what to do on Friday, like, whether or not to have... Are you our... serious? I mean, if not, like, personally to go.
3: So like do I. Whether
1: or not someone... I need, like, have someone available to write about it if it goes online.
2: Yeah, Jordan, Jordan was hired, or is being paid by the Guardian to go to the movies and write about it. Really? I just think that's crazy. Yeah, I'm not going to do no that. There's no use in doing it unless it's online. People want to go to your website to watch the trailer, not read about it. Yeah. It's going to be online by, like... Noon on Friday. Yeah, but then you have to decide if you're going
1: to post the pirated version of it, which is kind of like a you know shitty anti-film thing to do.
2: I don't know. They, I feel like they have to put an official version online because they know well, people will pirate it.
3: But I also feel like the whole point of this gambit is not to – it's because Star Wars is really the one film franchise big enough where they don't have to, to cow to – the fact that it's pirated. They're not, even the Avengers, I feel, uh, I could understand that impulse to say, okay, it's out there because it was out there. You know, has, there's a difference, of course. A post-production facility, uh, leaks the trailer. That's one thing. But if it's somebody just sh- shooting the trailer with their iPhone, um, then I don't think anyone's going to bat an eye. If it cuts yeah, out then... there in perfect quality, then maybe they'll want that traffic. They'll want to control the situation, but.
0: They're also in a weird situation where, like, concept art of all the characters is leaked anyway. So. Wait, really? You know, people who are. are, I haven't seen it. I had no
2: idea. So happy.
0: Oh, well, I mean, if people are really rabid to go out there and see what all the characters are probably going to look like, they can. So I don't think they're that worried about piracy of a trailer that's mostly just introductions of characters. And, like,
1: music and then, like, the Millennium Falcon.
0: Yeah, 88 seconds. It is 88 seconds. IG 88 seconds. Exactly. All right. Star
3: Wars. Uh, okay, so for our mini segment today, we're going to be talking about performances that we love uh, from movies this year. I know, uh, of course, I am a huge fan of acting and actors. That's all I want to talk about. So and Star Wars. This is really an out of character episode We're only going to be talking, you. the only actors who are eligible for this conversation are people who are, have been or are going to be in a Star Wars film. Yes. Uh, <laughs> That's actually a, a no. solid amount of people, so. It, it is. Uh, but how many of them have actually given good performances in movies? Mm. Um, fewer. Um, but, so these are performances we love this year, especially, uh, performances that are not going to get the, the awards consideration that they might deserve. And, and this segment was inspired by Essie Davis, who plays the lead in a film that conveniently happens to be opening at theaters this Friday. Uh, a brilliant, brilliant film called The Baba Duke. Uh, which we may have talked about in the podcast before, but Essie Davis, uh, in what, in my, to my mind, is the best, uh, air quotes, you know, traditional horror movie of at least the last 10 years. I think she is so phenomenal. And the kid, Noah, he's got a last name. It is something.
1: Monster Child? Uh, Noah, Monster, Monster Child. Child. I'm pretty no, sure. it's, uh, no, it's <laughs> Noah
3: bombback. Uh he it's it's the greatest child performance I've ever seen. I mean, it's really the performances in this movie are just absolutely next level and, and I think fearless we're gonna talk and, about and,
1: the Babadook a little bit uh in our review uh, episode. So anyway.
3: Uh I they will never ever, because horror is sometimes not improperly ghettoized, uh, are never gonna get the attention they deserve. And uh that's really upsetting to me. So not in the grand scheme of things in the world, but as far as the Oscar conversation goes, at least. Uh so that's my pick. What about you guys?
0: Dave? Uh, oh, um, I think maybe Ray Fines and Grand Brunefest Hotel will make it through the season, so I will go with Scarlett Johansson under the skin, who I think will be long forgotten by the time the season rolls around. Or the season's here already, and yes.
3: Yeah. What about Scarlett <laughs> yes. Johansson and Lucy?
0: Mm. Um, no. I mean,. It's if we're gonna just recognize Scarlett Johansson in this made-up award segment <laughs> we've made up, then yeah, sure. Scarlett Johansson's varied performances as somebody who kills men this year,
3: yeah, I can dig it.
2: So um, bad news, I don't think Ray Fiennes is gonna make it.
3: Yeah, I don't movie. think he so either.
1: He's getting a campaign, well, so you know he'll, he'll get, get a, a he'll get a, a
3: go- comedy Golden. He'll globe. get a
1: comedy Golden <laughs> Globe. Which it's is really, more than the Bollywood people will get. So worth
3: it's it, definitely true. The, the Golden Globes have a horror category. The Ray Fiennes performance is really, uh, it really maybe the best of the. I mean, it's really wonderful. I yeah,
1: um, I want to stick up for James Gray's *The Immigrant*, which I keep forgetting is even a 2014 movie. I saw it. I think when it hit Netflix instant. A couple months ago. Um, I think Marion Cotillard and Joaquin Phoenix are both really amazing in the movie. And James Gray movies, and this one in particular, I think are not everyone's thing. And they have this kind of heightened breathy, like period performing going on. It's basically the opposite of the Nick in that it is set in you know the early 1900s of New York but really feels like the past. but I love this movie and I thought those two were both great in it and I haven't seen uh, two days one night but I have seen inherent Vice and I would uh, I would take the immigrant over his work in inherent vice even though he's very good I, He's very I, good in inherent vice too but I really my love prerogative
3: as the uh, originator of the segment is to say, that I hate Marion Cotillard's <laughs> performance with <of> The Immigrant <laughs> which is, I think it's like it's the worst and I, I like that movie well enough I think she gives her career best performance by a country mile in two days one night and I have it's um, on next
1: on my on my screener list so
3: but uh, yeah I would uh, I just I want to dub over her performance with The Immigrant <laughs> wow. not with my voice I own would get voice, rid of do, Jeremy Renner in that movie but, but uh, oh cool. sure but I would take Katie Rich's dub of <laughs> wow. The Immigrant in a over Polish Mary accent Co- with
1: a hint of <sighs> French I'm sure I can do that I, I wish
3: I could remember any of her lines because I would do some well we want to appeal oh, to man. younger
2: audiences so we're actually going to get the girl from moneyball to yeah do it. it's Sorry fair to enough <laughs> it's a reboot i get it um and and just to to speed through mine i talked a lot about Locke this year and i just watched it again and tom is so fucking good at that movie of uh, basically talking to no one uh, it's the
3: biggest dry pour of
2: in european history yes we're going to fill the sky uh, it's it's wonderful. Is that movie available
1: um, in places, or do you have a screen? It's about
2: to be on Amazon Prime, actually. Oh, ah, okay. Next month, uh, I've been told. I have not but seen it now, yet. Now I rented it off iTunes. Um, and just little things. Uh, the girls from We Are the Best. Yes, I finally praised. watched that movie. That They're all so Netflix. good. Yes, they are wonderful. I think Tom Cruise probably deserves it. A, a speaking of the Golden Globe for Best Comedy Performance, Edge of Tomorrow. Um, I just think he's hysterical in that movie. And then I, I actually want to shout out. We are being a
0: little hard, a little hard on the Golden Globes, guys.
2: Well, they suck. <laughs>
1: they're just like a catch-all for everyone yes. who can't fit in.
2: All terrible things. Uh,
0: they're below Tom Cruise in what we're joking about now. This.
2: Uh, the real, the real thing I wanted to give a shout out was uh, speaking on Get On Up, which I don't think we were speaking about it when the podcast was actually running, but we were talking about it before the podcast. Uh, Nelson Ellis, who plays mm-hmm. kind of second fiddle to Chadwick. Botswick. Uh, but Whatever. John Wick, Botswick, Bozeman, Chad. John band. Wick is the not Black in, Panther. is not I'm, talking, get on, I'm talking about <laughs> Nelson Ellis. Um, He's fantastic as kind of the guy, the guy who helps James Brown get his band together, keeps the whole act together and really, Desires to go solo and eventually does. Um, I just think he's phenomenal and really understated in that movie, especially when Chadwick Boxman is giving it his all. Spoiler in the physical. No, there's now so much I more. Know to he movie. goes solo. Oh, it's in the uh, history. Also, books.
1: the guy who plays Little Richard in like one scene of Get On Up, who is not at all small. Uh, but I, I don't remember his name. He has just a one scene part, but I thought he was great too. So Get On it. Up, worth a look.
2: I know. I'm still going to bat for that film. I can't believe it. It's not exceptional. I'm quoted I, in its awards <laughs> apparently material. It apparently so. impression. Yeah. You are? Yeah. <laughs> well. <I'm
1: laughs> leading that band. Uh,
3: well, so catch up with those performances now. So uh, you'll be up to speed as to what you can complain about not being nominated when the Oscar nominations start. So, what are we uh-huh. really made of? Dig deep inside the atom when you'll find tiny particles
2: held together by invisible forces. Everything is made up of tiny packets of energy born in cosmic
3: furnaces. The atoms that we're made of have negatively charged electrons whirling around a big bulky nucleus. For segment three this evening, Katie Rich can't can't even. We are going to be talking about something you may have seen in some recent movies that i like to call science there has been a preponderance of science in recent movies too much some people say i don't know uh but there there uh, whether it's interstellar or in this week's the imitation game a biopic about alan turing um or the theory of everything a biopic about another rich uh Rich, rich was not the word i was going for <laughs> another <laughs> british guy um The British scientist, Stephen Hawking, uh, and there are probably other movies that have something to do with science. Uh, but I think that what my fellow podcast co-hosts want to talk about was how the science is depicted, how it is balanced against, uh, a narrative of a film, the, uh, exposition of a film, how, especially Interstellar, and this has been a topic of much debate, uh, how or how it does or does not successfully, uh, use the, pseudo science that presents to forward the plot or, or express characters or, um, or deepen the relationships between them. Uh, all of these things are up for debate. Science can be very tricky to work into movies. I think sometimes in a film like A Beautiful Mind, uh, which is not necessarily about science so much as neuroscience, you know, movies resort to these interesting ways of visualizing it which can be reductive and backfire or it can, does have a good game theory scene. it does have a, a excellent the best game theory scene there is really <laughs> uh um yeah but that was uh so i think i think this is interesting to discuss are there any movies that you guys think do a particular well did you think interstellar did it well there's to
1: something you. that um in, in theory of everything in particular that drives me crazy there's a scene early on where it's kind of in like the beautiful early 60s part and they go on the date and he points out that the men's shirts glow under the black light because of the uh the something chemicals in the tide uh laundry detergent and it's such a tiny little thing that like creates this beautiful image but it has nothing to do with the movie and it's only there because that's one scientific thing that they can explain to us and the rest of it is so, so completely inexplicable to the or average human mind. Or that he can mind. use
3: to to seduce a lady. Yeah. Right. Kindergarten <laughs> science is the only no, thing exactly.
1: that the
2: audience and women can understand.
1: And it's kind of the way that the movie drives me crazy in a lot of ways, where it like, pretends it's about one thing and then it really doesn't care about it. Um, and that's like, a, there's a way that a movie could do that that would make it interesting. Like the game theory scene we're talk, you're talking about, where it takes something really understandable and applies it to this huge theoretical concept, but... That's like one of the many ways in which a lot of the science movies this fall. Take one little tiny thing that you can get, and they're like, here, there you go, and then just go off on endless tangents in the case of Interstellar and explain things that you're never going to get and that they don't seem to really care if you do. how
2: far can you go? I'm really back and forth on this topic because, as we noticed in Interstellar, which is trying to draw from real science fact by having Kip Thorne be publicly the, the source of information on wormholes and time travel and whatnot... Um, it, you open yourself up to attacks from people who, who know this science backwards and forwards um, even if you're just using it to supplement great imagery of a wormhole and traveling and, and or the theory of relativity and aging and playing into your themes. I don't really know how far you can go because I think Interstellar used, it dabbled in science in the right ways. It really hooked my attention and, and drew upon things that I kind of knew about and took it forward enough that um, I was on board. Like I never really thought about the plot holes of the science until at the end, it really becomes over-explanatory, um, without actually being really explanatory. They just they start talking of connecting the dots from the beginning to the end, um, without explaining how any of this theory of gravity or the well, they like, started, gravity equation works. They start
1: explaining the stuff that is actually unknown, like they start explaining what happens inside a black hole, which we don't know. It's very strange that it gets like very detailed. Or like, not very right. detailed, it kind of like skims over things that we do know being, right. and using metaphors and they like punch a hole through a piece of paper to explain how a wormhole works and that stuff is all great and then it gets into the black hole and it's like, here's all these things that explain as opposed to like you know, giving us a star trial well, or something. I would
3: love to speak to to those points. I think that those are all super pertinent. Uh, I think especially the image of the pencil going through the paper, that is for me about as good and, and efficient as this sort of scientific storytelling gets. It reminded mm-hmm. me a lot of the scene in Man on Wire when Philippe Petit draws the, two tra- the World Trade Center and draws a line between the two spires. And you immediately see in that one flick of his wrist... Uh, everything that, that sort of is driving obsession and, and it makes it real for you and it's understandable even for somebody who isn't a maniac who's going <laughs> to walk between the twin towers and i think that that moment in interstellar it's a perfect visual metaphor for what it is the characters know it it works very effectively uh, i think the other thing that katie said that is super important to me about interstellar is that it's exploring science that we don't know and it's you know, it's pseudoscientific. It may have Kip Thorne on board, so it's going to be very deeply informed, but it's still, uh, it's speculative. And, and for a movie to, for us to think that a blockbuster entertainment is going to provide answers that our leading scientists necessarily haven't. And there were some things, especially in the visualization of a black hole, that were actually, uh, done for the first time and advanced in this movie that hadn't been done previously or outside of it. Um, but I think to, to be watching something like this and expect the onus on it to be that they're going to further our scientific understanding of the universe rather than just to stoke our imagination. I think it's such a fundamental misunderstanding of what movies are and how how uh, entertainment works. And I think while I would agree with Katie that it doesn't always strike the, the, the perfect balance and we can talk about why Christopher Nolan approaches things the way he does and, and uh, how it can backfire on him occasionally um i agree with that completely i think that um for for the most part the you you can't you can't think that the movie is burdened with making this fully understandable it just has to give you enough rope to hang yourself or enough or enough uh to hang its story on to
1: hang yourself good lord well
3: that's the expression but <laughs>
2: i i think about um lucy actually to come back to your favorite movie of the year David, the best but, um A lot of people were after Lucy for starting, you know, founding its idea on this pseudoscience that's been debunked for so long that we only use like one-tenth of our brain or something. I saw many, many people complaining about how this is kind of an old fact that we need to stop pushing to people. And I just thought that was really funny because I'm like, who cares <laughs> people can learn this truth and people can explore and if this movie sends people on a wikipedia adventure that's that's great right but for science fiction it can it can embrace pseudoscience it can extend ideas that are fake we should we should hope that people are smart enough to be able to after the fact differentiate what they've seen in a big fictional <laughs> a big sci-fi movie from truth what does it say about
3: hunt? what does it say about our education system that people are going to see a movie like lucy and being like well that's the, that has not given me all the information i demanded to know from it this is not uh you know like that we hold these things responsible for and yet, for imparting our information i want
2: i do want movies i mean maybe it, this is the differentiate like because we're talking about biopics, we're talking about theory of everything, we're talking about imitation game. These movies fail on a scientific level for me because they don't get into the science. They don't get into what makes their heroes scientific people. You know, imitation game does not explain why or how the Turing machine, which is what he builds to break the Enigma code, how it works. Or in theory of everything, Stephen Hawking, he's he's into cosmology. He he's having all these grand ideas about the world. How did he get there? I have absolutely <laughs> No idea. Uh, but do you do you dip your toe into that? Do you open the door to that kind of exposition? Or, or, or is it uh, guiding you away from the emotional storytelling of these movies? I don't know. Um, well, and, uh, maybe the fictional stories have the same problem.
1: What becomes frustrating about the imitation game is that the emotional story and how that machine works are kind of the same thing. Like you're reading this guy whose brain functions like a computer who has trouble connecting with other people because he's so wrapped up in the logic of his machine. And that's something that we can talk about this in our review later, but that something that the movie fails to address properly, and I think it—I think a better movie could have.
3: And I think that uh, something that patches could talk about at length, I'm sure, is how Alexander Desplat's score manages to reflect that just fine. <laughs> His um, music
2: is actually—I would direct people to the album as like a concept album for Alan. <laughs> it is more fulfilling. <laughs> as an experience of understanding someone's mind than watching the actual, like an actor, Benedict Cumberbatch, play this character. So you get high,
1: take apart your MacBook, and then uh, listen to that score, and you understand computers finally.
2: Exactly. Yeah, Um, yeah, but I, and and it's funny. I'm thinking about Michael Crichton at the center of this conversation and thinking about Jurassic Park, since uh, Dave mentioned it at the the head of this show, and just about, like, how that kind of teeters on the line between fact and fiction, I don't, I, I don't know what's been debunked in Jurassic Park. Besides that, we can't probably bring I, back, uh, I, I do. Oh, would you, would you like in. to ask yes, me? Please.
0: Well, I mean, it's really interesting because Jurassic Park is what sort of jumped to mind, uh, what this conversation started for me, and then I've been debating where the line exists between what I would classify as science fiction, which is like a genre exploration of a cool idea that is science-based, and like a movie that uses science as its exposition or its reason for existing. And I think it's weird because science fiction, I actually care less about how things are happening because it's going after the coolest thing about a theory or a paradox or whatnot. You could build an entire, you know, adventure trilogy out of going back and preventing your parents from meeting each other at a dance in the 1950s that doesn't have to explain time travel to you in a very complex way. But when you're talking about, like, biopics or something that's trying to explain actual science, which is what the Crichton novels do but the movies never actually did because they consider that too dry... It's like you want a certain degree of fidelity, but I only really enjoy it when it is stuff like in a beautiful mind, when it, it also can be tied to a character moment. I'm not sure if I would enjoy a movie that explained to me a code-breaking machine in the level of detail that I needed to, because I'm not sure. I mean, at that point, it's just a documentary. What are we tying into? That's true.
2: Yeah, but it's part of their emotional arc, right? As Katie said, you you want to know how the Turing machine works because it's somehow an extension of Alan Turing. I mean, he literally names it
1: after the dude he was in love with as a child, which is right. That's kind of creepy. Can't be factually true. But I I,
0: mean, if I tell you that uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex's vision wasn't based on movement, you would be lying.
3: You would be. I saw a movie that (laughs) very clearly illustrated how that is the case. So. Yeah, or Save how Velociraptors
0: breath. are giant, or how Dilophosaurus well, is, have apparently you know what? these clown like things. If you want to go through a life you.
3: scared of the Velociraptor in front of you, rather than the two on the side, then that's your prerogative.
0: Clever girl, David Ehrlich. Like, <laughs> clever girl.
1: No, there's I don't there, know, there's, there's definitely there's two some two different okay, sorry. two
0: different types of movies to me to me. No, there definitely
1: are two different types of movies. And the thing about Imitation Game and Um Theory of Everything, which I keep confusing, is that they're trying to tell the human story that's so inextricably, like, so tied up in the science. And uh, Imitation Game does it because this character is kind of inaccessible otherwise. And Theory of Everything kind of tries to make it a theme of the movie where he's discovering the universe and there's these circles and patterns and neither of them quite gel because they're tying in something really broad and really non-specific to us who aren't scientists to something as general as why you understand this character. And it's the kind of thing that I think you can understand in a vague way, but it's kind of impossible to get to unless you kind of understand. Not string theory. Is that is string theory what Stephen Hawking? That's beautiful minds. Damn it! Whatever. Wait, no well, it's I mean, not.
3: Is it? No, no. Game theory is beautiful mind. I'm sorry. It's, string theory is Brian Greene, but maybe also Stephen Hawking. I cannot profess to be. Uh...
2: Well, that so that's the problem with theory of everything. We don't even know what he's really. Discovered. Wait, wait, is
1: it Big Bang? No, he Big Bang came before him.
2: Well, he's mm-hmm. trying to trace the line back to the Big Bang. Right,
1: theory, like origin of the universe.
2: Yes, a brief history well, of
1: time. So is is
0: there a spectrum? If we, if like
2: Whoa, Beautiful David. Mind... I mean, Dave, uh, a- Alan Turing is not on the spectrum. Oh is that God. what you're saying?
0: That yeah, that's, right. not, that's not what I'm saying. Oh I mean, in terms of like science use in movies, it's like <laughs> game theory and A Beautiful Mind on one end and like uh, the Twinkie scene and then Ghostbusters on the other end. <laughs> We're just like, this is how much ectoplasm the Twinkie would be this giant.
1: I like, that's a big Twinkie. That's all we or, need, that's all we uh, need to Doc know. at the Chalkboard in Back to the Future 2, which is still basically the only way I understand time travel. Though that was well, pretty, I mean, that was pretty that's, good.
0: Yeah, it's a pretty accurate way to understand a certain degree of time travel. So that, that's pretty and good, And it's too. like as much as you
1: need to know and know more for the sake of the story that they're telling.
0: Right. Well, so that's the, that's the ideal.
1: I think that's the ideal.
2: It's like Interstellar crossed the event horizon of telling us things about the science of wormholes it gave just a little too much and somehow that opened the door and people went
3: at yeah i i think uh i think patches is is bang on i think that uh, interstellar's problem uh contrary to what i was saying earlier in some respects is not about giving uh incomplete information but feeling like it needed to give more and uh and really it it, it makes it seem possible for people in the audience that they can comprehend more than i think that they can more than (laughs) what's available to them um and that is dangerous because they will get swept up in doing so and thinking a lot less about uh the characters in the film and and what they're going through and these are characters who ostensibly not only have the education to understand the experience to understand uh, these things a lot better than we do but they also have the time because they exist in a future where uh and there's also beings putting wormholes i mean this is like come on
1: can we all Maybe can we partner. all agree that there's no use in uh, fact checking the science of gravity?
3: Yes, there's what? no use in rewatching Gravity to begin with. Whoa, so.
1: Gravity
2: moves too quickly. I mean, that's that's the beauty. of I know exactly.
1: In some I'm ways. saying it's not worth your time to be like, well, that's not really how it would happen because who cares? It's not the point of Gravity.
2: You buy it all because of the functionality of of the machines that they're working with and what you the little you know about vacuums and space. It's it's playing well, into the okay. known knowledge as opposed to trying to enlighten exactly. you.
0: It's part of the concoction of the piece is your suspension of disbelief. So if you are at any time thinking about the scientific inaccuracies of gravity, it better not be during right. gravity where the film hasn't done its job. Yeah. I, guess,
2: I, I guess I wish Imitation Game and Theory of Everything were a little more like the social network. And perhaps I understand how Facebook works because before the social network, I knew... Kind of how Facebook.
1: Works. Yeah, but say what did a you a not really, understand about Facebook that you? No, but that's from the a really network?
3: strong example, and I think that even if a lot of the details of that movie are invented, as Mark Zuckerberg would, would be quick to tell <laughs> really, you, really, really hopes you believe. And, right. It really doesn't matter to me because I think that, nevertheless, it is uh, the story that they create for him and how they illustrate it is such a uh, it per- so perfectly illustrates Facebook's value and how people use it and and what but we also we see get him program it. it right. Right. I mean, we
2: see him at a computer like creating this entity and i don't know the first thing about programming despite sitting david the entire fitcher semester does, in i assure college. you so
3: <laughs> david that's but you know programming uh in all fairness is a lot it's something that people actually do uh and can see direct results from unlike a, a black hole and so uh the playing field is not quite even there uh, david fitcher has a leg up over someone like christopher nolan um in the subject matter but i do think that the social network nevertheless and you see this in girl with the dragon tattoo as well um is really i mean even i mean and he even extrapolates from that the way that he uses media in gone girl is it's, it's, i think it's a response it's
0: a responsibility is what you're talking about like he's using it purposefully instead of just as a condition so like yes programming exists but that could It isn't necessarily a boon. It could also work against you because, I mean, there's tons of, there's entire websites about people collecting programming that makes no sense that appears on television and movies. So it's like dedicating to doing that and getting that right and melding it into how your character interacts with the world is like a dedication to your craft. Whereas, uh, I don't know, there's got to be some horrible example that I'm not thinking of.
1: Of programming?
0: Off the top of my head. Or of just uh, portraying your profession as so to the side of your character that the science is just might as well not even be there.
1: Mm, Yeah, there's a lot of examples, I'm sure, that I'm not thinking of either.
0: Yeah, but it's weird for Interstellar can play around in scientific theory, and it's weird that it feels in its uh, sort of marketing that it is... uh, it needs to ally itself with being true science when nobody knows what goes on in black holes. Like, it has to be like, we have all these you know, scientific uh, liaisons and whatnot that come in and tell us that we're not wrong with what might happen in black holes, and then apparently spends a whole bunch of time communicating that to you.
2: Yeah. I don't, uh, Why don't try- they trust us? We watched Cosmos. We can handle what, science.
3: What is the Star Wars trailer going to get wrong about oh God. blasters? How about warp speed.
0: Parsecs. <laughs> There's no sound in space.
3: There it's is true. no sound in space. And, hey, that, you know, that's, that's actually – Thank you for bringing that up and tying this conversation Not together. Now they we gravity back into Right, the yeah, bringing it back into gravity because, uh, <laughs> as some of you listening to this may have read, uh, they are – Listening, Alfonso Coron emailed me personally and said, <laughs> I heard, I read your tweet after you saw Gravity last year and it obviously resonated in my soul. And we have decided to release a version of the film on the upcoming deluxe Blu ray that has no score, that is, that is no sound in space, that takes away Steven Price's god awful garbage music and uh, actually makes the experience a lot more. Tense and uh that that actually is cleaving a little bit more to the science of everything. And is uh I think it's gonna make for a better movie. It's the rare case where well maybe not the rare case, but it's a clear case to me at least where those two dovetail perfectly.
0: There's a good example for me is when Ron Moore like rebooted Battlestar Galactica. Uh he made it sort of about September 11th but then he also wrote this document since he had worked so long on Star Trek The Next Generation. He wrote a document that was attached to all the scripts about how this was going to be a much more realistic space show, so there wasn't going to be sound in space. There was going to be score, because that was actually a dramatic part of it, but there's no, like, blaster sound or crashing sound, and they were going to run out of food, and they were going to run out of water, and they were going to fight. They were going to be basically, like, unlike the perfect version of Star Trek because, scientifically, space travel wouldn't be that clean, and instead of, like, the Gene Roddenberry utopia, he was going to use that to sort of create an entirely different series. And in a strange case for Ron more recently, it actually worked out and made something much more interesting, I think, than its original incarnation, which was more fantasy nonsense based
2: with lizard people.
1: <laughs> fantasy? Whoa.
2: Not based on science. Well No, there are now. no lizard people. For now.
1: If I if I die tomorrow,
0: make my epitaph There are no lizard people. <laughs> well what about Benedict Cumberbatch? <laughs>
2: Zing.
1: Oh, God.
2: What fighting in the war room gets wrong about science movies in 2014? Now
1: that you've insulted Benedict Cumberbatch, we're going to have like so many angry people after us. He looks more like an otter anyway.
0: I want to punch in really quick, and I was going to give a shout-out to uh, scienceandfilm.org, where the Sloan Science and Film Foundation actually honors movies that properly portray science in one way or the other, So if you enjoyed this segment and want to find out more, since we didn't recommend that as much as we debated, uh, go there and look at some Sloan-awarded films.
2: Yo. Yes, like Eye
3: Origins.
0: (laughs) Okay, look, uh, if you want the critical opinions, subscribe to Fighting in the War Room. But if you just want more movies, scienceandfilm.org.
1: Eye Origins. That title still makes me mad.
2: Everything is made up of, of tiny packets of energy Born in cosmic furnaces The atoms that we're made of have negatively charged electrons Whirling around in big bulky mm-hmm. nucleus the quantum, the
1: quantum theory offers a very
0: different explanation
1: That does it for today's Fighting in the War Room We'll be back on Friday for your post-Thanksgiving review of The Invitation Game Discussing various uh, parts of this episode in the meantime, tell the people who you are.
2: I am Matt Patches. I write all over the internet um, and put everything on my website, mattpatches.com. And I'm on Twitter, at Mr. Patches. And remember, each week we put the episodes on our website, fightinginthewarroom.com, where you can comment, leave, uh questions, or comments, or, or incites conversation in the future. That's fightinginthewarroom.com.
3: I'm David Erlich. I am the associate film editor of Time Out New York and the editor of larger of Little White Lies. You can find me on Twitter at David Olick and at Criterion Corner and you can find all of us together singing songs from Into the Woods on uh, Facebook at Fighting in the War Room. Patches, are you gonna post a video of you singing a song from Into the Woods? Give the fans what they want, Patches.
1: Into the Woods. <laughs>
0: Uh, I'm Dave Gonzalez I spell my first name D-A-70 That's also my Twitter handle I write about Star Wars And superhero movie news On latino-review.com and, mega and forbes.com I want to plug my podcast The Thought Bubble It comes out on Wednesdays On this feed It's a Q&A About comic books And Hey Next week It's episode 50 You guys know what that means It's a quarter quill Woo-hoo! So You go to Fightingintheworldroom.com Slash F-I-T-W-R five zero. There's a little trailer there. I'm gonna put up links to our previous quarter quells so you can catch up. Each one of those episodes tells you a little something about us and are usually pretty entertaining. They're they're my favorite thing that we do.
1: Me too. Uh, I'm Katie Rich, you can find me at Vanity Fairs Hollywood, where you can find an interview by David Ehrlich, hey. with the director of A Girl Watch on the Night, and there are things by, things by Matt Patrick there from time to time and by me, uh, and you can also find me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y, R-I-C-H, you can also find our entire podcast on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R, where you can also answer this week's lightning round question, which was...
0: In honor of the interstellar infinite ticket, what movie would you see in theaters over and over?
1: Thank you for listening, and we'll be back talking to you on Friday. The quantum theory,
3: the quantum theory offers a very different explanation of our world. The universe is made of 12 particles
0: of matter, four forces of nature. It's made of twelve particles of matter Four forces of nature That's a wonderful and significant story I gotta stop somewhere. I'll leave you something to imagine